<clears throat> All right. Well, guys, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're looking tonight at the, uh, the, the resurrection story, the Easter story here tonight. We'll get to that here in just a few moments. So uh, this year in youth group, we have been watching this series called The Chosen. Who's seen that or heard of that show? I will tell you, it is absolutely fantastic. But anyways, in, in our last um, session here a couple weeks ago, we, were, we saw this story of Jesus coming to heal this paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. This man had been, uh, you can read about this actually in John chapter 5, but this man had been in this condition, this paralyzed state for, for 38 years the Bible says. And, and, and the way that this, this, it was kind of portrayed in this show is that he was by this pool, and, and this pool was believed at the time by these people to have like magical properties almost. There was certain times and nobody really knew what would happen, but the, but the pool would bubble up inside, and they thought it was some angel that was in there that was going to heal them from their sicknesses and diseases. And uh, anyway, so there this man sat, his name was Jesse, and he sat by this pool but he could never get there in time because he was paralyzed. He would, he would try and he would try, but it would be too late. And it just kind of progressed. And year after year after year, and every, and every year that passed, you could see him become more and more defeated to the point where the pool bubbled up. He wouldn't even move anymore. He got to the state where he was absolutely just hopeless. But then Jesus came in. Jesus knew this man, obviously, because Jesus was the Son of God. And anyways, he comes into this place and, and he walks over to this man and he just looks up at Jesus, and Jesus says, I have a question. Like, well, I don't have much, but I guess I may have some answers, he says. And Jesus just looks at him, and he says, do you want to be healed? And the man just kind of looked at him, confused, and he said, I've been here for years, but I don't have anybody to take me to the pool to get healed. And Jesus looked down at him, and he said, but I didn't ask you about the pool. He said, you, you know very well that pool can't save you. That pool can't heal you. But, but Jesus, every time the pool bubbles up, he says, they just walk right over top of me and I can't ever get there. But Jesus said, but I didn't ask you about the other people. I asked you, do you want to be healed? And the man looked at him in the eyes, and, and he saw the compassion and the love in Jesus' eyes, and he just said, yes. And, and so what does Jesus say? He just looks at him, and he says, then get up. Pick up your mat and go home. And he, he's there laying, and, and his eyes get real big, and he, he, he goes like this, and, and he feels, and he starts to wiggle his toes, and he, the smile comes up in his face, and he stands up, and Jesus just kisses him on the forehead and, and walks out, and and about that time, this man was just kind of standing there, and Peter looked at him and said, he told you to take your mat and go. And then the man asked Peter, well, why do I need to take the mat? He said, because you don't need it for this place anymore. You're done here. You have a new life to live. Oh, I absolutely loved that. And anyways, we, we talked, we used that, and we talked about in this world, so many people place their hope in so many things that really aren't true hope. So many people place their hope in things that really are false hope. Things that they think are going to give them comfort, security, and yet they're false hope. 
Things like beauty, people hold on to their beauty, and yet beauty fades, doesn't it? Over the years, as they pass, things start to sag, hair goes away, <laughs> you know, beauty fades. So we can't hold on to that. Some people hold on to status and popularity, but you know, as you get older, you find out that those things really aren't nearly as important to you as they used to be, especially in your teenage years. Many people cling to money for hope, thinking that uh, it'll buy them happiness, it'll give them anything that they could ever possibly need, and yet, at the end of the day, what does it really buy you? Sometimes it goes away, it can never really satisfy. In fact, statistically, some of the most miserable people in the world are people that are the richest. So even that won't do it. Then we talked about how some people place some hopes in hope in themselves, and what's the problem with that? We know, we know ourselves that we're going we, we're, we're to let ourselves down, right? I mean, eventually what's going to happen? I mean, we're going to get old. We're going we're gonna to die. And if we're, all we're holding on is to ourselves, it's a, it's, it's a hopeless endeavor. So is there any true hope in this world we talked about? And we said, absolutely. And it's, in the, Jesus, it's Jesus Christ himself. He is our hope. He is the truest of hope that there ever was. The, the one hope that will never, ever, ever let us down. And he proved it in what we celebrated this Easter weekend when he went to the cross, was buried, and three days later walked out alive and well. And that's what we'll be talking about here tonight. So let's go ahead and read our passage of Scripture in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll talk about it. It says this, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, Speaking of John, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then in verse 8 it says, Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and believed. I love that. For until then he still hadn't understood the Scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. It says, And then they went home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped, and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other sitting at the foot, at the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away the Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and, someone standing, and, and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And, she said, and, and, and Jesus said, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Well, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where have you put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means Hebrew, which is Hebrew for teacher. And he says, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave him his message. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much just for this opportunity we have to be here tonight. Thank you again just for this weekend that we get to celebrate this amazing news that we have a Savior that is alive and well. God, tonight I just pray that you would bless this time in your word, that you would remove distractions from our minds. Father, just remove any hindrances that might be here in this place that's going to inhibit you from speaking to our hearts and to our minds. Heavenly Father, um, as I say every week, God, there's, there's no power in the voice of a man. It's only through your power and your spirit and your word. So, God, I stand aside and just ask that you would use my lips to speak to your people tonight. That, God, they would hear you. And, God, tonight people's hearts and lives would be changed. We love you. We thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the account of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter weekend, I will tell you, is the absolute greatest story of hope that there has ever been or ever will be. Why? Because before Jesus left his eternal throne in heaven to come to this world as a human, which we celebrate at Christmas when he came as a human boy, this world was in big trouble. This world was, um, was lost in sin, hopelessly. Satan had a death grip on humanity, and God's judgment was an inescapable reality. For all people, and yet instead of leaving us helpless, instead of leaving us without hope, God had a different plan that would change the lives of the people of this world forever. In the greatest act of love that he has ever done or ever will do, God sent Jesus for the sole purpose of coming to go to a cross to die for our sins so that we could have life. And he did just that. He died, he was buried, three days later he rose again. And that's the story of Easter. That's the, that's the hope that we have in him, a hope that will last us through eternity. But have you ever stopped to think what that had to have been like for the people that walked it? You know, we, we read these passages of Scripture about the resurrection, and really all over the Bible, but all four Gospels have a different kind of, kind of view of the resurrection. But, but have you ever tried to just put yourself in their shoes to try to think what it was like to be um, one of the disciples that were walking with Jesus and having to experience this whole thing? Or maybe um, Mary or one of these other women that were with Jesus that had to experience these things. And, and, and you know, because I, I just, we have the full story, right? But they didn't. They were living it as it was being told. And so it's easy for us to, to look at these things and go, yeah, that's an amazing story. But for the people that, that had to walk through it and live it moment by moment by moment, how astounding of a time that had to have been. Emotions from the greatest sorrows to the greatest joys. And so what I want to do just for a few moments is, is try to just picture this this time, this period of this moment in history as one of the disciples or as one of these women that, that knew Jesus. And just to try to put yourself in one of their shoes. And, and you've been with Jesus for a few years. You've seen him do some just incredibly remarkable things. You've seen him do miracles. You've seen him heal the lame, make blind people see. You've seen him call people that were dead in the grave for four days, Lazarus, and walk out of the tomb. I mean, you saw Jesus um, go head-to-head -head with these religious leaders that were, were so far off base he, Jesus did incredible things. As we talked about last week, they, you, you would have been there to witness Jesus coming to Jerusalem during that triumphal entry as we talk about on Palm Sunday where, where people were waving those palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. 
You'd have been there to see that, and boy, the, the, the rest of that week was amazing too up until Thursday night. I mean, Jesus went into these temples that were, that were this, this temple that was um, really just doing some bad stuff, and he, 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 these money changers and money collectors were in there and were kind of ripping off the people, and he walks in and knocks these things over, and he says, this, this place has been turned into a dead of thieves. It's supposed to be a, a house of prayer. I mean, he was bold and amazing. He, he stood toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law that were criticizing him all week long. And I, you know, I can just imagine as one of these followers of Jesus on the inside, you might just be thinking, like we talked last week, man, he, he's really going to do it. He, he's really going to take over. He's really going to take his throne like he's supposed to be. But then Thursday night happens. Imagine you're with Jesus and you're walking to the, the Garden of Gethsemane with those few disciples that went there with him and he just tells you to sit there and, and pray. And after some time he comes back and you look at him and you're just almost in awe. I mean, he's, he's got blood running down his, looks like sweat, but it's red. The Bible says that he was in such agony spiritually that he sweat drops of blood and as they were trying to figure out what was going on, you look over and you see these, these soldiers coming in and they come to arrest them. Well, what would you have done? Some of them just stood there, did nothing. Peter, what did he do? He, he took his sword and he lopped off one of their ears. And Jesus didn't have any of that. He just reached over and he heals that man. And he, and he allowed himself to be arrested. I mean, how confusing would that have been to have been one of them disciples? Like, why is Jesus allowing this? Or, or maybe put yourself in Peter's shoe for a moment. As, as Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the, to the high priest's home. And, and there he was being really just ridiculed and, and mocked by these people. And I mean, he was spit upon and he was backhanded and slapped. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. What do you think you'd have done? What, what, what would you have done? I mean, what, what would have been going through your minds? Do, do you think you'd have been like... Why is he doing this? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he stop him? He, he just stood toe-to-toe with him all week long, and he's just standing there doing nothing. And about that time, you have these people. Aren't you one of the disciples? No. No. Aren't you one of the disciples? No, I'm not. You, you walked with the Bible, so I don't even know the man. Do you think that would have been different if, if Jesus would have been like, Listen here, let me tell you who I am. I mean, I think he'd have been running out there. Yeah, well, I'm with him, right? You know, but, but that's not what happened. Jesus just allowed it. And Peter, in this moment of just absolute remorse, after he had denied his Lord three times, just went away weeping and, and crying. And Even imagine the next day, as Jesus was taking him before the Roman courts and you know, we don't know how many of the disciples were around there. If I had to guess, they were at least watching from around the corner or somewhere. But, man, maybe in your mind you'd have just thought, well, maybe now's it. Now that everybody's watching, now, now he's going to prove who he is. And he just stood there silent. As they took him and, and put a crown of thorns upon his head, I'm sure that it, it had been one of those moments just like, Wow. This isn't the way I thought this was going to go. As they took him and took his hand and bound him to this pole where they, 
And they picked up this, this whip, this flog, really, which was called the cat of nine tails, which is leather strapped with shards of glass and metal on the end. And as they would beat a person with that, it would literally rip flesh from the body. And, and if you were a disciple there, he, he can't let them do that. There's no way he's going to allow them to do this. And yet as that whip struck over and over and over, that must have been just an agonizing moment in their minds. And then as he was taken again, they just shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How their hearts must have sank. As he was taken and was carrying that cross up to Golgotha's hill, the crowds mocked him. As he was laid down and nailed to that cross and lifted up, Imagine what it would have been like to hear the crowds say, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself if you truly are the Son of God? And yet he just stood there silent. And maybe in just a last glimmer of hope, they're thinking, well, now that he's up there, now that everybody's watching, maybe now he'll come up off the crowds and show everybody who he is. And yet, in the greatest moment, I'm sure, of hopelessness that they had ever experienced, he breathed his last. They heard these three words that is finished, and he dropped his head. And their friend, their teacher, was gone. They took his body, put it in a tomb. Have you ever thought about the conversations they must have had over those couple nights, Friday night and, and the Saturday. I, I'm, we know they were fearful. And so what were they whispering? I mean, maybe they were trying to hold back tears. I'm sure they just wanted to weep and cry. And yet for, for fear of who might hear them, they probably just tried to hold it in. And as they talked, I can just imagine they, they talked amongst themselves and, and it said, were the, were, were the things that he did really real? Were, were all these miracles true? And if so, how could he be gone? I mean, he said he was the Messiah, and if he was the Messiah, how could he possibly be dead? We, we, we walked away from everything to follow him. Now what? Now where do we go? Now what do we do? What if they come after us next? I mean, I just, I just imagine the conversations that that these men and women may have had over those couple of days. The sorrow, the fear, the doubt they must have felt had to have just been absolutely agonizing. And even as we look at our text there, like in, in, in verse 1, it says, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Madeline had come to the tomb and found that the, the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, in one of the other um, gospels, it said she was with some other women, and, and they, they saw this angel and said, he isn't here, he's risen. And in fact, as in Luke chapter 24, this, this Mary and this other couple of women were there, and, and they saw these two men in dazzling white clothes, and they said, Jesus isn't here, he's risen from the dead. And yet, something must not have triggered in her mind, because it says that she went back to the house and told Peter and John that they have taken our Lord's body. And I don't know where they put him. And even that just had to have been just, she just sounds distraught like, 
man, it wasn't bad enough that they murdered our friend and our teacher, but they, they stole his body, and now we can't even finish the preparations. Imagine what went through, going through Peter and John's mind as they went there to this tomb, and the stone's gone, and they look inside, and all they see is just these grave wrappings, and this one folded up, and I'm sure they had just been like, what is, what is going on? And yet something clicked. Just, just imagine that moment when they were in there, and it says, then the disciple in verse 8, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw, and what? He believed. Imagine that moment when the light bulb came on, and they went to, looked at each other, and they go, is this really possible? Could he really have truly risen from the dead, just like he said? Could he really have done that? And what did they do in verse, they just took off. They took off back because in their mind he's alive. I gotta go tell our friends, right? And yet Mary stayed there. Did she just have some doubt? Was this too good to be true? Was she in so much grief that she couldn't believe her own eyes? I don't know exactly. But as John and them left, we can see here as she's crying, these two men see her and just say, dear woman, why are you? Well, Jesus said, dear woman, why are you crying? She sees Jesus and didn't even recognize him. He says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And again, she says, well, if, if you've taken him, just tell me where he's at so I can go. And with one word, her eyes are opened. He just looks, I can picture him just looking at her right in the eye and just saying, Mary. And in an instant, her eyes were opened. I told you I love this show, The Chosen. And, and the, I think it's the very first episode when Mary Magdalene, who was, lived a very, very rough life before this, she's at this moment where she's about to commit suicide, right? Literally. And yet, she comes in contact with Jesus, not having any idea who he is. And at this time, everybody called her Lilith, but her real name was Mary. Anyways, as she was walking out of this dory, he looks at her in the eyes, and he just says, Mary. And she says, how do you know my name? And he begins to speak to her, and I can't help but think that, that if something like that was true, there's some significance to that, because as Jesus looked her in the eye, he just looked at her and just softly just said, Mary. And she knew her Savior was alive. <laughs> she knew it. How amazing would that have been? I mean, think, you know, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't read the rest of the chapter, but Jesus comes back and he, and he appears to the rest of the disciples. Can you imagine how amazing that had to have Ben, as they saw him still with scars still fresh on his hands and his feet, imagine how their doubts and their fears began to fade away. Imagine all the questions that must have come up in their mind in those moments. I mean, imagine all those times that Jesus had tried to tell them about what was happening, and finally it just clicked like, so that's what you were talking about. These, these men, their lives were absolutely transformed in that moment absolutely and completely changed because they saw their friend they saw their savior who had just been killed who had just been buried 
in front of them, speaking to them, where they could touch him and feel him. He was alive and well, and it changed them forever. What an amazing, incredible story. And to, and to be there as one of them people had to have been absolutely astounding. But you know, even more astounding than the story itself is what it accomplished. What Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection is absolutely incredible. You know, there, some people have asked, why is the resurrection such a big deal? Like, didn't all the work really happen on Friday? You know, if you think about that, what, what was more important? Was, was Friday when he died on the cross more important, or was Sunday when he rose again more important? Well, there's really neither one of them that's more than important. They're both equal. When you think about the death of Jesus, he, he bore the full weight of our sin on his shoulders. He, he paid the full price of the curse for, for breaking God's holy commands. He paid it. God the Father in those moments on the cross poured his holy wrath out onto his son so that our debt of sin could be, could be paid for, so that we could be fully forgiven and saved, so that we could be made children of God. That's what the, that's what the cross did. But what about the resurrection? Why was the resurrection such a big deal? Think about this. In Jesus' life, he made some incredible claims. He, he flat out claimed to be the Messiah. When Pilate asked him if he was the true king of the Jews, what did he say? Yes. Think about what he was claiming. Jesus in his life was claiming to be the one that all the prophets spoke about when they spoke of this Messiah who was to come. But if this was true, if he was the true Messiah... If he died, he couldn't have stayed dead. If he would have stayed dead, he couldn't have been the Messiah. Why do I say that? Because of Isaiah chapter 53. A passage is all talking about Jesus. Listen to this. It says in Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief, speaking of Jesus. And yet when his life has been an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. That's you and me, those of us that know Christ. And it says this, He will enjoy long life. Well, how is that possible if he was dead? And the Lord's good plans will prosper in his hand. And it says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. How could a dead man see what was accomplished by his anguish and be satisfied? Think about this, right? And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. And it says this in verse 12, and I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier. You know what that is? That's when a victorious soldier comes in and paraded in what, by shouts and cheers. How could a dead guy receive that? You get it? He had to rise again. It goes on to finish that because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels, he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Guess who that is? This guy. All of us had rebelled against the Lord. All of us had sinned against him. But he didn't even stop there in his life. He didn't only claim to be the Messiah. He claimed to be literally the Son of God. He didn't even stop there. He literally claimed to be God. Like, really? Jesus claimed to be, he absolutely did. In John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, listen to what Jesus said here. Jesus speaking to some religious leaders, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, he makes a statement, I am. I am what? 
That's the exact same that Moses, the same thing that Moses asked God when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. Well, if I'm supposed to tell your people that God is talking to you. What, what am I supposed to call you? He, what did he say? I am. Just tell them the great I am has sent you. I mean, do you realize the claim that Jesus made in his life? He was saying he was the son of God. He was saying he was God. He is, he, that he was the creator. He was saying that I am the one that spoke to Moses at the burning bush. I'm the one that led Israel through the desert to the promised land. He was claiming to be the eternal God that, they had, that had lived since eternity past, that they had worshipped as a nation for centuries. That was his claim. And if that was true, friends, he could not stay in the grave. He could not stay dead. In fact, he even claimed while he was alive that he would die, but three days later that he would rise again. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 31, he was teaching his disciples and he told them, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise says the same thing in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples and, and that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, priests, and scribes, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. That's good stuff. That's what he claimed. Yeah, but that was just to his disciples, right? Did he really, really say that? Well, listen to what the religious leaders said after Jesus had already died. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 63, they were speaking to Pilate because they wanted to make sure that his disciples didn't steal the body out of the tomb because they thought, because, well, listen to what he says. We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said that after three days, I'm going to live again. He, the, the priest that had him crucified, even, that's why they did it, because he claimed to be God, because he made these incredible claims. Jesus went on even further. He didn't even stop there. He claimed in Matthew 24, and verse 30, um, that, that he was going to sit at the right hand of God on his throne in heaven. In fact, he even claimed in Matthew 26 that he was going to come to earth again riding on a cloud. How could a dead guy do that? Listen to Matthew 26, 63 and 64. He was speaking this when he was being tried. This high, this high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you have said it yourself. But I say to all of you, he says, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Think about those claims. If Jesus had not rose again, he couldn't have been the Messiah. If he had not rose again, he couldn't have been the Son of God. If he had not rose again, he could not have been God. If he had not rose again, he would have been proven a liar, and Friday would have been worthless. He would have just went down to just some guy that died at the hands of the Romans, that none of us probably today would know. But because he rose again, think about what's true. He verified once and for all that he was who he said he was, that he truly was the Messiah, the Son of God, God the Son in the flesh. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In him was life. In him was life. How could life stay dead? It couldn't stay dead. And you know what? Even when his physical body 
took its last breath, Jesus was not dead. Because we see in, I think it's first or second Peter, that he was down in the place of the dead proclaiming his victory to those who had died before him. He was anything but dead. He was absolutely alive, and because this, his resurrection verified who he was, his resurrection also validated completely the work that was done on the cross. Jesus made salvation possible. You remember why he was named Jesus in the first place, way back to the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1? The angel told Joseph, what, name him Jesus, Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And friends, when he on the cross said, it is finished, he absolutely paid the full price of sins. He did it. But on Sunday, he verified all of it, that it was absolutely and completely true. And the door of salvation was opened for everyone because of what he did. Praise God. And you know what the good news about the resurrection is? is his victory is now our victory. What he did can be applied to our lives. His perfect sacrifice that paid for sin can be applied to us to take our sin completely away if we would just trust him and believe him in faith. For a moment here, I want to focus on verse 17 of our passage. Mary recognizes Jesus for the first time. He says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I go to, he says, but go find my brothers, speak of the disciples, and tell them. And listen to what he says here. I am ascending to the Father in what? I am ascending to the, who's he talking about? To his Father in heaven. I'm, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. What? I'm ascending to my God and your, do you realize what Jesus was saying to them? He was telling Mary, you have been made part of the family of God. You are now my sister. Your father is the same father as I had, the father who is sitting in heaven right now upon his throne. Wow. And can I tell you something? What was true for her, what was true for John, what was true for Peter, what was true for the other disciples, what was true for the thousands that came to faith in Christ just weeks after that, and the countless hundreds of thousands and millions of people that have come to Christ since then, is true today as it ever was in all of history, because the work that Jesus did on Easter has the same effect today as it ever has. If we will simply place our faith and trust in him, we can be saved. Notice said in the beginning, there's a lot of things that we place our hope in that will let us down. And one of the greatest is believing that we ourselves have the ability to stand before a holy God in our own merit. Scripture tells us that all of us someday are going to stand before the Lord. Whether we want to or not, it's going to happen. We're all going to give an account on that day for everything we had done, every thought that we have ever thought, every word that we have spoken. Can I tell you this? If, if you are placing your hope that you're good enough to be accepted, you're wrong. Well, that's not very nice. I'm, I'm talking about myself too. I'm not good enough. None of us are. But see, we need to come to that recognition because when we look to Jesus as our only hope, we're in faith saying, Jesus, I can't save me, but you can. I believe you went to that cross. I believe you died. I believe you rose again. And that is good enough to save me. So Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. 
Forgive me my sins and be my Lord, be my master. Help me live for you because I'm placing my hope in your hands because I know you won't let me down. Friends, that is the hope of Easter. That's the hope of the resurrection still today to this point. And it's a decision that every single one of us has to make. Like we have to make it. We, we have to make it. Because indecision is a decision. Saying no is a decision. Saying nothing's a decision. We all have to choose. As I think, and just in closing, as I think about the responses to the resurrection of Jesus, these religious leaders, many of them, they, when they heard about Jesus rising from the dead, they paid off the soldiers to cover it up. They didn't want Jesus over their life. They didn't want Jesus, some guy controlling them. Nah, they rejected him completely. As I said last week, Jerusalem at this time was filled with almost two million people. And the vast majority of them didn't believe. I mean, you, you think about what transpired on Resurrection Day. Even, even Friday night, the earth shook. Earth, I mean, the, the sky went black. The, the temple was, was, was messed up. The veil split in two. If that wasn't enough on Resurrection Day, Matthew 27, I believe it is, says that when Jesus came out of the grave, it says the, the tombs of the dead split open and people who were once dead walked out and people saw them. How amazing would that be? And yet people looked at that, countless people looked at that and said, ah, it's too good to be true. Jesus is just a fairy tale. People still do that today. There's so much proof that he's real, so much proof that he's alive. And yet people look at him like a fairy tale. Now, one of the stories I didn't get to was Thomas. Thomas wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to them. In fact, eight days later, he, he still couldn't believe it. And, and, he, and he says, unless I can stick my finger in the place where the nails went through his hands and, and touch his side where the spear pierced, I won't believe it until I see it. So what did Jesus do? He said, Thomas, take your hand and put it on my side. Take your hand and put it in the place where the nail holes were. And he simply says, my Lord and my God. Can I tell you something? If you're here and you've made a decision to follow Christ and you're just in this place where you're just like, I don't know, it just sounds too good to be true. Is, is he really, really real? I, I dare you. Test Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're real, please prove it to me. If you're real, please make yourself real to me. And if you do, I will believe. Can I tell you something? I believe with all of my heart that he will do that. If you just reach out and in faith, ask. But can I tell you the greatest response is just simply in faith like Peter and John. Go, I believe. I believe. And just say, Jesus, come in. Friends, the hope of Easter is not just a hope for today or tomorrow. It's a hope forever. It's the most incredible story of hope that there has ever been or ever will be. Don't let it pass you by. Cling unto Jesus and hold on to him forever. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this night and for your word and for this incredible account of what we celebrate as Easter weekend. When your son, our Savior, walked out of that tomb, 
Thank you for your love and thank you, God, for what it accomplished. It accomplished our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, bringing us into your family as your children with the hope of eternity with you forever and ever and ever. God, what an incredible gift you have given us in Christ. God, for those of us that know Jesus as Savior already, let us never ever lose the wonder and the awe of how amazing it is that we've been given salvation. Father, and for anybody in this place that's never made that decision to follow Christ tonight, I pray that they would choose to just, just to simply say yes, to say, I believe. Jesus, come in. Or at very least, I pray that they would at least pray and ask you, God, to make yourself real. And God, I pray with all of my heart that you would, that whatever it's going to take in their life, that you would open up their eyes and open up their heart, that they can see that you are absolutely real. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. In the precious name of Jesus, our risen Savior. Amen. Amen.